Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. And uh, man, praise God for how he's building his church. Amen. Amen. And he's building it in a huge variety of ways and just continue to pray that God would do that. And it's just a special thing to be a part of. My name is Dan Hammer and I have the privilege of being the, the senior pastor here. And um, I just want to ask you right now as, and just to really see how God is moving in a big way, not just impacting here locally, but also regionally and globally. Pastor Andrew right now is preaching up at his parents' church up in Northern Maryland to so be praying for that. Isn't it cool that we get to have an impact that goes beyond this county and, and throughout the state, not just this state, but this world as uh, again, we've I had sent teams out to Guatemala and the Dominican Republic this, this year, this summer even. And so just super thankful for the work that God is doing. And uh, as we get ready for kid camp, kids camp, man, God, God has a big plan for all ages. And we're just super excited about what he is doing. I'm super thankful for Pastor Andrew and the series of Jonah. Wasn't that a great series? And uh, just amen. And just a study of God's grace and the transformational impact of all aspects of God's grace. And we're going to see that continue today as we continue our jump back into for the next few weeks here to finish it out, our step out series from Hebrews chapter 11. And so if you want to get a head start, you can actually turn to Exodus 11 and 12. So we are take going verse by verse through Hebrews 11 uh, and just seeing how the faithfulness of God is impacting our lives through the faithfulness of really fallen individuals. And so we're going to be in Exodus 11 and 12 primarily this morning. And, and what we're going to see is that God's grace is prevalent uh, for us in this text. We're going to literally see God break his people out of bondage. Amen. Praise God for how Jesus changes everything. If you don't hear anything else today, I pray that you hear that. Jesus changes everything. That's what we are all about, Jesus, at Harvest, yesterday, today, and forever. And I just pray that you would, you would really surrender your hearts to him and the work he's done for you and the work he wants to do in you, through you, now, today, and forevermore. Isn't summer flying by? I can't believe it's August, right? Now, the unofficial kickoff the summer is what? Memorial Day. Did anybody know when Memorial Day became an actual holiday here in the United States? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> May 30th, 1868, by a guy by the name of John Logan, who was the commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic to honor Union soldiers who had died in the Civil War. Isn't that interesting? To honor soldiers who had given their life, paid the ultimate price, so that all, all, all races, all backgrounds might have access to freedom. What if I told you that Memorial Day was not actually a United States thing, but it's a biblical thing? We're going to see it in the text today, actually, from Exodus chapter 12. There is a verse where the Lord commands his people, and he says, This shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, what day is this? It's the day of Passover. You know, in our Memorial Day, we often say words like never forget and always remember. And, and I'm just so thankful for every single person that has served and is serving in our, in our armed forces. But obviously, Memorial Day is specifically to commemorate, to honor, to remember those who have paid the ultimate price. And thank you to all of those and their families who have done that. But today in the Bible, he's going to point us to the one who pays the ultimate, ultimate price for us, Jesus Christ. And what does it look like and how do we respond to the sacrifice that he has made for us, the freedom that he offers us? How does it impact our daily lives? How does it impact our eternity? That's the question that you're going to wrestle with today. That's the question that I wrestle with, that the text presents us is the reality of Jesus's sacrifice is real, is prevalent, the grace is available, what's your response to it? 
And not just one day, but what's your response to it every day? Because the gospel is not just for your eternal salvation, although it is. It is for your everyday sanctification. So what's your response? Today we remember the, the reality and the power of God's deliverance for our lives, and we acknowledge the reality that every single one of us in this room has a place where we need deliverance this morning, amen? amen. Maybe it's from a sinful sin in your past. Maybe it's from a current situation that you're in right now. Maybe you're in bondage for something that somebody else is doing to you, a workplace situation, a past hurt. Maybe it's a consequence of your own sin. Maybe it's worrying about the future and you just are so held captive by anxiety and worry and fear. I am here today to let you know the reality that my prayer is not today, not just a Memorial Day for you, but today is Independence Day for you. That God is here today to break you free from that bondage. We're going to look at that in the text, in that same deliverance that he provided his people some several hundred thousand years ago, two couple thousand years ago, is available for us today. It's available for you. The question is, what are you going to do with that gift? Maybe, I don't know. The big idea is this, that you'll see in the text, you'll see on the notes, you'll see on the screen, that the grace of God delivers me from the wrath of God through my faith in God. The grace of God delivers me from the wrath of God, which is a very real thing, through my faith in God. And I just pray that you would experience that deliverance today. The offer is available for you. It's available for me. It's free. It doesn't come without a cost to you. It costs Jesus everything. The question is, what are you going to do with that? I pray that you would silence the outside noises, as, as Don prayed earlier and that you would really allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in your hearts today that he wants to do. He wants to break you free today from the bondage that you walked in here with. We all walked in here in some level of bondage. But the beauty and the power of the gospel is that freedom is here because Jesus is here. What's your response? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that whether we've been in bondage for four minutes or 430 years, as we will see from the text today, that you are at work, that you have not forgotten us, that you love us, that you died for us, that you're pursuing us, that you're here to save us, and that you are what is best for us. Father, so often we get distracted and we seek our affection and to find our satisfaction in things of this world that will ultimately only destroy us. And Father, today in this moment, I pray that you would deliver us. Deliver us from doubt, deliver us from sin, deliver us from the bondage of anything and everything that keeps us and inhibits us from having an un uninhibited relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the beauty and the gift of the gospel. And I just pray that you would move and that you would silence me and that your words would flow. God, in the, in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 11 and 12, but on the screen, you're going to see the passage from Hebrews that really is what we're, uh, we're diving into today and kicking off from. And so the author of Hebrews uh, writes this. He says, by faith, in Hebrews 11:28, by faith, he, he being Moses, kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them, them being the Israelites, them being God's people. And so we read that verse and we go, great, go along our merry day, right? now. We want to understand the context. To understand the context, we need to go back to Exodus 11 and 12 to understand the actual act, proper application for what the author initially intended it to. 
So if you would turn with me to Exodus 11 and 12, as we dive deeper into what does it look like to keep the Passover? What is a, what's the need for the Passover? What does it mean of the sprinkling of the blood? What does it mean of the destroyer of the firstborn? What does it mean that he might not touch them? So that we can understand the biblical principles that are to God our daily lives. Now, the whole context of this series of Step Out of Faith is to see God building his church, God keeping his people, God being faithful even when we, his people, are faithless. Praise God. For, amen. That through generation to generation, God is keeping his promises. He's, he's keeping his promises from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And now he's going to keep it through Moses. That even in the middle of our mess, his mercy is more. And that's the same aspect for us today. When we say Jesus is building his church, it's the same principle that God is keeping his promises. God is building his people. And from Old Testament to New Testament, it is, it is so true throughout. Now, again, to understand what's happening here in Exodus 11 and 12, we have to go back a little bit. We have to hit the rewind button to understand how we got here. And when we left Moses five weeks ago, he was 40, a 40-year-old guy running away from Egypt. He had been a prince but he laid it down because he decided in that moment to put his identity in God. He, he was going back and forth, one foot in Egypt where he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, by God's grace who had saved his life, and one foot, I'm still an Israelite nationally, ethnically. Who am I gonna actually live for? The Israelites were in slavery. They had been slavery. They were in slavery a total of 430 years, and, and Moses found an Egyptian taskmaster abusing an Israelite. And what did he do? His anger got the best of him and he killed him. Right thought, wrong action, right? It's not good to sit by and let injustice happen, but Moses handled it in the wrong way. Now, I think we can all relate to that, right? If you, it's been said before, if you're wrong in the way that you're right, you're wrong even though that you're right. So he continues the next day and he thinks he's like the savior. Literally, Stephen tells us that in Acts 7, that's in his mindset. And again, Moses has the right idea, but wrong timing. Anybody had that problem? Okay, God's called me to this, but I'm, you don't realize that you're not ready for it yet. So he goes to the Israelites and go, I'm basically here to, to help you. And they're like, get out of here. We don't know you. You're an Egyptian. How dare you talk to us? And at that moment, Moses realized he was a man literally without a country. That Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And he did. And so he fled and he ran to the desert at, a four, as for, at, a 40, at 40 years old. We ran to the land of Midian where he found a wife and two kids and he had a father-in-law named Jethro. And you know what he was doing for the next 40 years? He was a shepherd. He was just a dude in the desert doing the nine to five with smelly, stinky sheep. <laughs> day in, day out. Not for 40 minutes, not for 40 months, 40 years, because God knew he had growing to do. Some of us are like, God's called me to this and I'm ready. And God's like, no, you're like, oh, yes, I am. And we can't wait four minutes. But God in his grace sent Moses to the proving ground of the desert for 40 years to learn how to be a shepherd. And God in his grace is working right now, even when you don't see it, to prepare you for his calling. Do you trust him? Or are you just trying to get ahead of him? Because really you're making it about you and not him. And how do I know Moses was doing that? Because that's his response. When he was doing his job in Exodus 3 and 4 and he shows up, and you know who else shows up? God. He's literally 
and I heard a, a pastor say this, and it was really revolutionary to me in my concept. Moses was just at his day job, and a bush went on fire, <laughs> and God began to speak. It's like you going into NSA or wherever, oh, I can't say this word, um, it's some government office not far from here, sitting at a computer, and it begins to be on fire, and God begins to speak through it, right? You're like, God, I'm just doing my nine to five. God's like, I got a bigger plan for you. Are you ready in the middle of your nine to five to follow how God leads you faithfully? But see, Moses over 40 years had grown in some ways, but he still had his doubts. Because if you read Exodus 3 and 4, and we're not for time's sake, but it's very, very important to set the precedent. You see how God appears to Moses, and he says this in Exodus 3, 7, and 8. We're just going to look at a snippet to understand how we got here to 11 and 12. God appeared to Moses, and he said this. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to what? To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, my people out of Egypt. And at that Moses, Moses is like, you talking to me? I've been 40 years in the desert. That, that, that was a lifetime ago. By the way, I'm a wanted man in Egypt. By the way, the Israelites hate me too. I, you talking to me? Before we get to Moses, I want you to see God because that's at the heart of this. Are you looking at yourself or are you looking at your savior? Are you looking at what you think you can't do or are you surrendering to what you know God can do in you and through you? Because at the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, I love you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Look at what God says. And if you're, and think about your area of bondage, your area of brokenness right here. Look at the heart of God for you because this is the same God. Surely I have seen the affliction of my people. Put your name in there right there. I have seen the affliction of Stephen, of Daniel. He knows. It continues. I have heard their cry. He hears your prayers, right? I hear. I, I don't just see it. I hear it. I know their sufferings. He knows what you are going through. He knows what you have walked through. He knows where you are. More importantly, he knows who you are. He continues, I have come down to deliver them. God is not just up there ambivalent. He's active. He comes down. He doesn't stay where he is. He meets us where we are in the mess. Praise God, amen. I've come down, and not just to hang out, which he's present, but with a purpose of deliverance. Out of the hand of the Egyptians, and not just to come down, but then to bring them up. God comes down, he brings us up, praise God, to the land of good and honey. Why, why, why? Because they're my people. They're my children. More than a nation, they're my family, and so are you. Your family to God if you're in God. He sees you, he knows you, he will move literally heaven and earth for you. He's doing it right here. He knows what's best for you, but you have to surrender to his will. Because so often we think we know what's best and we just want God to get on our plan. And God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. My plan is better even if it's 40 years in the desert. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you obey me? Because God gives this call to Moses and you'd think like, okay, God showed up in a bush. Some of us are like, I need a sign there doesn't get a more big of a sign than God speaking out of a burning bush, right? But how does Moses react? Like, yay, go God? Nope. He begins to rattle off excuse after excuse after excuse. 
God, do you know who I am? He's like, yes, I can't do this. And he's like, you're right, you can't, but I will be with you. God, those people that are Israel, they don't respect me, they don't listen to me. Well, tell them that it's not about you. The great I am sent you. Oh God, I don't have the power, I can't do it. Here's a staff, watch this demonstration. It's not about you, Moses. It's about my power working in you and through you. Okay, if that's not enough, well, oh God, like, I can't speak. Like, you know me. God's like, that's the point, I know you. I sovereignly knit you together in your mother's womb. I, kn- I control your mouth. I will give you the words. And Moses is like, I don't know, I don't know. Fine, I will send your brother with you. And Moses is like, fine, I'll go. Talk about breaking out of bondage. A big part of the story is God breaking Moses out of his own bondage before God could use Moses to help break other people out of their bondage. Moses was bound to fear. I can't, I can't, I can't. More importantly, he's not really even saying I can't. He's saying I won't. Where in your life are you saying I won't and I can't to God? I can't talk to that person across the cubicle about God. I can't take this next action of faith. I can't do this. I can't do this. This, my human insufficiencies will get the best of me. Friends, direct your eyes off of yourself, which is a pride-filled position. I love you, but when you are the center of you for better or for worse, you're making it all about you, and that's pride. Make it about God. God can do anything. Part of deliverance is there's no miracle without the mess. We have to first acknowledge the mess that is inside us to see God work a miracle within us. So friends, where do you, like Moses, need to get over, not just over suck it up, but surrender it and allow God to use you, empower you to then be faithful in a way that he is calling you and you know deep down in your heart he's calling you to right now. You're not alone. God loves you and God is with you. Will you go? Because that's a big part of this story, so we can't miss it. God wants to work in you before he works through you. And all the time God is with you. We have to surrender our hearts and submit our lives. Moses was with the Lord at 80 years old. He again had to resurrender. We never get past the point of needing to surrender on a daily basis because God wants to do things in you, through you, that you can't even hope, you can't even imagine, you can't even dream of bigger. But it starts with a surrender. So Moses goes, he relents, he goes, and here's what happens. He gets to Egypt and he has a showdown with Pharaoh. And he, here's, a, here's a big synopsis. He says, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. That's basically a bunch of chapters in Egypt, <laughs> in Exodus, right? Okay, big synopsis. Through turning the water into blood, the Nile River, from frogs to lice to flies to livestock to boils to hail to locusts to darkness, the Israelites, through all these things, are still in slavery. But never fear, God was still working to accomplish his victory. He could have broken them out immediately, but God had a bigger plan. He had a bigger plan. You're like, what's that plan? Well, turn with me to Exodus 11, where we find the Israelites literally standing in darkness. Literally. The last ninth plague was darkness. There's darkness around them. There's darkness inside them. The hope is gone. But I want you to know, if you feel like the hope is gone in your situation, there is hope in your heart, hurt. There's hope in your heart because the light of the gospel always, always, always breaks through. I don't care how dark it is outside. I don't care how much, how much you are oppressed. I don't care how much adversity you're facing. The victory of Jesus Christ is triumphant. And God's word teaches that there is no amount of darkness that can withhold and withstand the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter one. I love it. 
we're entering this 10th round of this epic battle between Moses, which is really Moses representing God and Pharaoh and the, all the gods of, of gods with a little g of Egypt. So we're gonna see right here, God's deliverance, not just for his people then, but these same principles apply for us today. We're gonna look at three essential aspects of God's deliverance for our lives. And I pray that you would experience them today as well. Maybe it's for your salvation. And I believe that there are probably some people within the sound of my voice that need to lay down your life and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would do that today to stop dabbling in it and just surrender it. Or maybe it's a thing in your life. Maybe it's a step of faith. Maybe it's a fear aspect that God is asking you today. Yes, the reality of the worry, the anxiety, the difficulty, the obstacle are real. But God's like, I'm greater. I'm greater. You need to trust me. Just take the next step. Trust me and I will see you through it. So here are three essential aspects of God's deliverance from this text for our lives, not just today, but every single day. By the grace of God, I am delivered. It's not our own strength. It's by God's grace. Let's get that crystal, crystal, crystal clear. The first aspect is this. By the grace of God, I am delivered from God's wrath. That's an essential reality. Exodus chapter 11, beginning of verse one, the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. What a promise. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. He's come a long way from Exodus 3 and 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt as such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all, these, sir, your, and all these, your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out you and all the people that follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went away from Pharaoh in hot anger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Highlight that, underline that, memorize it. Moses and Aaron did all these things, all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. We are going to get back to verse 9, but that is essential. That God is at work even when you are in bondage. For his purposes. That we might not understand, that we might not agree with, that we might not like, that we cannot see. But we need to trust by faith the heart of God. And follow in obedience the, the word of God. God tells Moses he's got one more plague for Egypt and then Pharaoh will let him go. And then this amazing thing happens in verse two and three and we'll see this play out later. He goes, by the way, tell all, your, all the Israelites to go to your Egyptian neighbors and like tell them to give them all their jewelry. Like what? Like, like go to those that have held you captive and tormented you and they, by the way, can you give me all your nicest jewelry? And it worked. Why? Because God's sovereign. God wants to do things that blow our minds because there's no other way that we could do them in our own strength. 
more on that in a little bit. God says the, the whole nation of, of Egypt, and it's really, really important to see this, that he is going to go over the entire nation of Egypt. There will be wailing like has never been heard before. You'll be heartbroken and broken, and they will finally let you go, but I will not touch the Israelite people. Verse 9, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In verses 12, 1 through 14, read this with me. We now see God's plan for deliverance for his people. So the Lord said to Moses, verse, chapter 12, verse 1, and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you, the beginning of months. It shall be the first months of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And then they shall put some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses, which is the door frame in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night. They roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood, the blood shall be a sign for you, and on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever and ever, you shall keep it as a feast. Wow, there's a lot here. We could spend weeks here, but there's some really, really important principles here about our God. The first one we absolutely need to start is this, that the wrath of God is a real thing and we deserve it. Two realities of God's wrath from this text and it is a humbling, sobering, startling, but hope-giving reality. The first is this, that apart from God's grace, death and destruction are coming for us all. Every house in Egypt, where do the Israelites live? In Egypt. More on that in a second. And you might be like, it feels like the wrath of God is a little strong here. How could a loving God do this thing? Good question. Let's look what Paul says in Romans chapter three, verses 10 and 23. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many Bible verses you've written, whether you, this is your first time in church or you've been here all your life, there is not a righteous human being alive. All of us. Raise your hand if you're part of all, right? Like all. 
We all have sinned and we all have fallen short. It's sobering, isn't it? It's humbling. Paul continues in Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. So since we're not righteous and since we all have sinned, we have all earned death, period. There's no going around it. There's no shortcut. There's no easy way out. No matter you consider the sin great or little, sin is sin and sin requires a death penalty. It requires a perfect sacrifice. So we have all sinned, we acknowledge that, and the payment required for our sin, the consequence is death. We have earned it like we earn a paycheck from work. But how many of us live our lives like we're playing nice with sin? We wanna see how close to the line we can get. That's not that big a deal, it's just a little sin. That little sin requires a death penalty for every single one of us that we commit. We need to stop minimizing sin we need to start running towards God. Praise God for his grace, which is, elevates over our sin and covers our sin, as we will see prominently here in this text. But we cannot just run past our sin. We have to understand the reality of God's severity and his wrath to understand his gospel. Look at what Paul continues to say in Romans 11, 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, they coexist. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. God's uncompromising holiness will never change, and praise God for that, amen? Because God is uncompromisingly holy, he cannot dwell in the presence of sin. We cannot be reunified with God as we are blemished by sin, but praise God, the duality exists, that God's uncompromising holiness and his unconditional love both exist at the same time. And they met perfectly at the cross where there was a payment that was required. There was a payment. And so the reality is the question, let's change the question. Let's change the narrative of how could a loving God do X, Y, or Z in terms of wrath? No, no, no. The better question is how great is the love of God that in spite of the death that we earned and deserve, he gives us his grace to cover our sin. Praise God for that. And when you begin to grasp the weightiness and the severity and the reality of your sin, you begin to see the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ in a whole new light. That the, the, the depth of the love and the payment that God himself did for us. That no good works can cover, no amount of giving can, can atone for, no amount of just attendance at church. It is not about legalism, it's about love. God did not and would not lower his standard. Praise God for that. But God sent his son. Praise him because the second reality of God's wrath that we see in this text is this. God did not exempt his people, but he did cover his people. That angel of death was going over every single household in Egypt, Israelites included. The key to this is in verse 13 of chapter 12. The blood shall be assigned for you and on the houses where you are, and God, these are God's words, and when I what? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not just because you're in the Israelite nation, not just because you were born into the family of God, I'll pass over you. No, I have to see the blood covering you. 
Your past can't cover you. Your nationality can't cover you. I am offering you a sacrifice, but you need to apply it through faith. And outside of that, I will not pass over you. But when I do see it, I will pass over you. Do you see the difference there? It's huge. He didn't exempt his people, but he covered them. He provided a way out for them to be delivered by his blood. And no plague will destroy you. It's the same hope that we have today. But first, my friends, before we continue to focus on the darkness and the depravity around us, I need you to ask you really a really personal thing to look at the depravity inside of you. Oh, they're a mess out there. No, 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 it's not. that's maybe for a different day. Right now, look at the mess inside of you. Or where are you rationalizing, justifying your sin, writing it off? Your sin is a death penalty. You need the grace of God. But it's a free gift that is available for you, but we can't experience God's deliverance until we stop playing the victim. Somebody did this to me. That's why I did it. It's not my fault. It is your fault. You are a sinner in need of a savior. And I love you too much to not say that. Because if you just go through, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal, you will end up in hell separated from Jesus Christ forever. The severity and the wrath of God are real. Praise God for his holiness. Praise God for his love. That covers personally our debt. Because that's the second essential aspect of God's deliverance from this text. That by the grace of God, I'm delivered not just from God's wrath, but I'm delivered through God's substitute. We see that explicitly in chapter 12. One thing is absolutely clear. We can't deliver ourselves, amen? They were in bondage for 430 years. They probably tried to break out of jail a few times. It didn't work. And maybe you're trying to get out of your own sin struggle right now, your own way. You're just going to work harder. You're going to do better. You're going to do more. You're going to read self-help books. You're going to give more money. You're going to do things. Go to church because that gives you a little bit of a mental break. And it just distracts you from the reality of your depravity and what Satan doesn't want to do. If he can't destroy you, he wants to distract you because you're going to end up in the same place anyway. That we need a savior. I need a savior. I am guilty and I need a savior. And I am helpless outside of Jesus Christ. So are his people then. They needed a substitute. And God outlines in this text what type of substitute sacrifice is required to cover us from impending death and provide deliverance. What are they? Well, we see it in the text in verse five, a perfect substitute without blemish. Anybody here lived a life without sin? No, none of us can cover our own sin, our spouse's sins, our loved one's sins. We need a perfect substitute without blemish, without sin. Second aspect is we need a perfect substitute who is willing and would die. Verse six, you shall kill the lambs. Like there's no way around it. Death is required for our sin. But praise God that he sent one to die in our place. The third aspect is this perfect substitute and sacrifice allows the death that we deserve to pass over us. And we saw that in verses 11 through 13, that when we apply the blood, the wrath of God passes over us and God provides us deliverance. Praise God, amen. There are no shortcuts. The gospel is a little bit like, obviously it's much more sincere than like Lito's pizza, right? They don't cut corners, neither does God. 
But how many of us in your religious walk with the Lord, and I say religious for a reason, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. You're trying to cut corners. It's about a relationship with God. No compromise. The gospel is, 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 there's no compromise in the gospel. The blood of the lamb that covers and saves and delivers the people here is the same blood of the lamb that points us to Jesus Christ, our ultimate covering, where God came down. That Jesus Christ, the son of God, left a place in heaven that he, to come to a people that he didn't have to leave. He came to a people that despised and rejected him named you and me, insert your own name here. He loved them, lived with them, and he gave himself up fully and freely to fully die and blood out on a cross the most inhumane form of execution possible, the most painful death imaginable, experiencing the full wrath of God on himself that you and I deserved. Jesus looked at you, he saw your face and said, I love you anyway, and I will die for you gladly, sacrificially fully. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says this, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Isn't that amazing? The Passover points to Christ. 1 John 1, 29, John the Baptist says about Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Friends, today, behold means to focus on, are you looking to the lamb of God to take away your sin? Or are you trying to do it yourself? And if you ever doubted what the love of God is, the lengths to which he was willing to go, look at how the prophet Isaiah describes Jesus living and dying as a lamb in our place. Surely he, Jesus, Isaiah 53, was born for our griefs and carried our sorrows. Whose sorrows? Mine. Yours. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. We say, get out of here, Jesus. But he chose to be wounded for our transgressions. He didn't deserve it, but he paid for it. Praise God. He was crushed for putting your own name here. My iniquities, Dan's iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. Peace is possible, but only through Jesus. By his stripes, we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every single one of us. We've turned everyone to his own way. Where are you walking in your own way today? And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin, the punishment, the wrath of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. Praise Jesus. What a savior, amen. As one of my favorite hymns says, how deep the father's love, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was mine. It's personal. The gospel in four words is Jesus in my place. My place. Yes, my neighbors, yes, my loved ones, but today it's, it's, it's mine. He's in mine. He took mine because I, I needed it. And when we say you are loved at the end of every service, I pray that you would know how loved you are, amen? What love it is that Jesus looked on you and saw your mess and chose to lavish his mercy on you, saw your guilt and gave you his grace, saw your sin and paid your price. Look at your neighbor right now and just say, you are loved. I pray that you would know how loved you are. Even in your mess, that you would know how loved you are. Yes, by us in this room, but really it's all about Jesus right now. And that would change your life. That would be your identity. The love of God changes everything. So how do we respond? We see a couple different responses here in this text for how we are to respond to gospel. The gospel demands a response. 
plainly, bluntly, lovingly, because I love you, it is a yes or no response. Will I put my faith in Jesus Christ? It is a free gift to you and I, but it was not free to Jesus. And anything short of I surrender and I believe is a no, and you will spend eternity far away from God forever. I'm thinking about it. I'm not quite there yet. That's all means no. If you have never fully put your heart and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you would do that today. The first response is this, to receive it through faith. Are you rejecting the gospel or are you receiving it? And what does it look like to receive it? There is a response here. It's an application of it. So in this text, we see that the blood of the lamb was slaughtered. And then what did the Israelites have to do with the blood? They had to apply it to their doorposts, right? Because it wasn't enough that the lamb had been slain. That's a step and a needed step. But where did that blood need to go? On their own home. It was a personal application of reception of that gift of God. Through faith. Like, isn't it, what if you went home and like painted your, your doorpost on your front door with some blood? Your neighbors would look at you like you're a little crazy, right? Some of you, like, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. They, they look at you the same way. He's a little crazy, right? Response through application. So for, the, for the God's people then, it was by applying the blood and then God's wrath passed over and then they were delivered. For you, and that took an act of faith. For you and I, it is to put our, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The presence of the spilled blood of Jesus was not enough to save them then and it's not enough to save you now. God died for you. He, his blood was spilled for you. It is available to you, but what will you do with it? You need to respond by receiving it and putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul helps us out in Romans 10, 9. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So what does it mean to receive this response to the gospel? What does it receive it with faith? What does it mean to put your faith on the Lord? Two steps. The first, the second, uh, the first one is this, to believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and raised him from the dead to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that I am a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus is my substitute. Praise God, amen. But I love you enough to tell you that is a big part of it, but it's not all of it, is it, in that text? Even the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God. The second part is the harder part in a lot of ways. The second part is this, to surrender my life and to surrender to Jesus as Lord and savior, meaning I am going to die to myself and I wanna live your way. I want to live the Bible's way. No more of myself. I want to get in the word. I want to stay in the word. I want to learn your word. I want to apply your word. I want to do it your way, not my way, even if it means 430 years in slavery because your way is better than mine. Yes, our pride gets in the way, but whatever, don't let what you don't know about God stop you from putting your faith in who you do know about God. Where have you been delaying that right here, right now, you need to put your faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? This life on earth is not guaranteed. Where will you need to surrender your control? I'm gonna live God's way at work. I'm gonna speak God's way to my friends. I'm gonna respond to oppression and hostility against me with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control. I'm not gonna hit send on my email in wrath when I'm angry. I'm gonna pray about it and then respond how God wants me to. And again, grace is not the absence of truth, but it's always the presence of truth and love, but to do it God's way, not your way. Holy Spirit led. Second aspect in response to the gospel is the readiness. 
There's a readiness to the gospel. We see it all here. And God's like, hey guys, eat unleavened bread. Why? Because you, you don't have time to let it rise. Eat with your shoes, your sandals strapped on your feet, cloak in your hands. You need to be ready to go when I say go. Friends, are you ready to respond to God today? If he gives you a gospel opportunity at work tomorrow, are you ready to respond? Is your heart prepared to be interrupted? Are you willing to lay down your plans to eat? Oh, God, I, I, I need to go do this before I get back. Like, that's sort of like, God, I need to let the bread rise because then it would be in the perfect condition to eat. And how many of you are like, I got to get my hair done. I got to get my life right before I follow you. I got to get my money in the, in the right arrays before I start tithing. No, like you're telling God to wait and God say, be ready and act now. You need to be ready to respond and ready to go when God says go, ready to give when God says give. Where do you need to do that? Third is remembrance. He says literally memorializes. Keep it. And why are you supposed to memorialize it? For your own sake, but also look at verse 26 and 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? Why are we doing the Passover, dad? Why are we having kids camp? Why do we go to church? Why, why, why? Look at verse 27. And you shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over us. He spared us. I want you to tell you, son, daughter, grandson, about the greatness of God. I want to tell you about the gospel. And that's why we keep this. Not just to have some big party, but to celebrate and to be intentional about a gospel testimony. Are you doing that in your lives with your kids right now? Are you taking time to memorialize and remember the gospel work in your life? In a wide variety of ways, forms and fashions, it can be done, but are you prioritizing this? You're remembering what Jesus has done for you. Are you telling your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your aunts, your uncles, your coworkers about the greatness of God who has delivered you? It's a heart of worship right there. We see that at the end of verse 27, the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. Fourth and finally, it's rejoicing. There's a reason it's called a feast, right? What do you do at feasts? Are feasts time to pout? No. Praise. We're going to rejoice. Celebrate. As Christians, joy should be a hallmark of our lives, no matter what the external circumstances are, because we always have Jesus' sacrifice for us. Are you remembering the gospel today? And then they worshiped in verse 27. They rejoiced with worship. They rejoiced when remembering. They rejoiced because they focused their hearts and lives on Jesus. Will you do that today? not just one day, but every day. The grace of God delivers me from the wrath of God through my faith in God. And then third and finally, the third essential aspect of God's deliverance is this, it's for God's glory. By God's grace, I'm delivered from the wrath of God through the substitute from God for the glory of God. All going all the way back to Rome, uh, Exodus 11, verse nine, when the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. My wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. God is saying, I want to show off my glory, right? How many of us are focused in our lives right now on our earthly misery, which is compounding, and that's not, that is a reality in your workplace, at your home life, and we're missing out on the fact that God's wonders are multiplying at the same time. That God wants to, and will, through his gospel, give you the strength to endure so that he can do a work in you and through you that this defies imagination and explanation so that he can get even more glory. Like if he had delivered the Israelites after like one day, they would have been like, that's great, God, on to our next lives. When you look back, 430 years as I look back, God sustained me, God strengthened me, God broke me out when I had lost all my hope, right? God saved this person when I didn't think that they would ever be saved. And we got testimonies literally this past year of multiple people in our congregation like that. Why? For God's glory. Sometimes God allows us to go through 
bondage. Bondage can sometimes be the consequence of our sin, but can also the hostility can also be just a consequence of a fallen world for his glory. But God saved them. And we see that in verse 29 of chapter 12 through 32. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon. Don't miss this about God's wrath. It impacted Pharaoh to the slave girl. It impacts everyone. And Pharaoh wrote, don't care about your stature, your job status, your, your, your bank account. God's wrath is real. And Pharaoh rose up that night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt for not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and he said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you have said, take your flocks, your herds, as you have said and be gone. And what? Bless me also. Wow. Every knee will bow. Pharaoh was acknowledging the sovereignty of God in this moment. Praise him. So how is God glorified in this way? There are three specific ways in this text that God received glory through the waiting. The first is this, God provided for his people. This is a fulfill, God fulfills his promises. God multiplies his wonders. This goes all the way back to Genesis 15, 14, when God promised to Abraham that his people would come out of slavery with many possessions. We see that when they left in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35, the people of Israel also had done as Moses told them. They asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let them have what they asked and they plundered the Egyptians. Wow. God provided. He provided wealth for his people. He provided the resources, which would ultimately lead to the temple being built over time. God provided it through pagan people. God provides, he works. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God will never call you to something that he doesn't provide for you in it. And he does it in all sorts of ways. Praise God, amen. God was glorified through that because who in their right mind would think that the Egyptians would just hand over stuff? Secondly, God multiplied his people, which is a fulfillment of the promise he made to Abraham in Genesis 12 too. They came into the land with, with 70 plus or so people, sojourners when they were starving and they were bankrupt. They had no food. Remember, don't lose sight of that. They had no food when they came and now they left with multiplied possessions. They came with 70. The text here says that they left with 600,000. That's verse 37. And that's just the men, guys. It was a 70,000% increase of people. I will make you into a great nation. God's doing that through the period of bondage. He was working. Praise God. We grow a lot through seasons of suffering in a wide variety of ways. Third and finally, he diversified his people. Verse 38 of chapter 12, a mixed multitude went out with them. It wasn't just national Israelites. Who was it? It was people of other nationalities. God had promised that the nation of Israel will be a blessing to other people. God always has a heart for the nations and he's beginning to fulfill it right here for his, his glory. Some people saw the wonders of God and responded to it in faith by following him. Praise God for that. The same God is at, is at work now in your present circumstances to accomplish his purposes for, your, for his glory. He's working even when you can't see it and don't struggle to believe it. You can trust him in it. You can trust him with all of it. Our God keeps his promises. Where in your lives right now do you need to look to God and surrender to God to save you? And maybe, maybe you're like Moses and God's calling you to something that terrifies you. He, he has called you to break you out of the fear of bondage to say, I am greater than this thing. And you need to trust me and take a step of faith in it. Maybe you're like the people of Israel and you just are in slavery, that God's wrath is coming upon you, that other, the world is against you. 
seemingly. And today you need to look at the grace of God and you need to surrender. The God who brought you to it and allowed you in it will see you through it. You need to stop fighting that and just start surrendering. In your work life, in your marriage, with your kids, God's sovereign. He wants to multiply his wonders in you and through you, but you need to surrender. And maybe just maybe it's personally for you that now is the time to surrender your heart and faith to Jesus, the life to Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord. Not religion, but a relationship. Authentically. Maybe you need to get back to anchoring in Jesus the gospel again. Maybe you've drifted. We're going to look next week about this huge reality. It's not about the quality of your faith right now. It's about the object of your faith. Trust, surrender, look to him, remember. Because at the end of the day, it's Memorial Day. And I want you to remember this about our God. Our God is always a promise keeper. Our God is always the way maker. No matter how big your bondage is. Our God, he's the bondage breaker, amen? Our God is a deliverer. He is the provider. He is a savior. He is the rescuer. He is the miracle worker. He is the deliverer. How is God asking you to respond to the reality of the gospel today? No more deflecting. No more dismissing, no more disparaging, but arms open, hands open, lives open. How is God asking you to respond? Would you take out your communion cup with me? Communion is a response to the gospel. It's a remembrance to the gospel. It is a remembering of the reality of the gospel, of the reality of God's wrath, of the beauty of God's grace, the sacrifice of God's son. The Bible teaches open communion, or we practice open communion here at Harvest, meaning that you don't have to be an active member of Harvest to, to partake in communion. You just have to have an active faith with the Lord and Savior. The Bible does teach this, and, and that communion is for God's family. And so if you've not genuinely and authentically put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would politely ask you to refrain from communion right now. But if you have not if done that yet, I would ask even more that you would do that right now. And just say, God, I surrender. I want to follow you. I believe. Help my unbelief. The Bible teaches that we need to clean our hearts before we partake of God's communion. In the upper room, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this. When you eat this piece of bread, do this in remembrance of me. So Amy's gonna pray, play for a little bit longer. And in this time, I would just ask that you would go to the Lord and confess any unconfessed sins. Ask the Lord to reveal any areas of your life that you need to bring before him. There's no sin that you can commit that the grace of God can't cover you. And there's no amount of maturity that you have in the Lord that can ever outrun the grace, the need for God's grace. So just go to the Lord and do business with him right now.
middle of our mess, God lavished his mercy. So now would you take this piece of bread and would you eat it as you remember the reality that Jesus Christ gave his body as a payment for your sin and my sin. Jesus then took the cup and he passed it around and said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is my blood spilled for you. When you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Tell others about the gospel. So as we have spent some time confessing, I now challenge you to commit. Maybe there's a step of faith that God is asking you to take that you've been really nervous, anxious, resisting, running from. Would you ask God to reveal that to you now and then to give you the courage like he did Moses to take a step of faith, whether it's big or small, to follow him. the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a cup and he passed it around and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Friends, would you now drink this cup in remembrance of Jesus's blood spilled for you? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the reality of the remembrance of the beauty of the cross. We thank you for the reality of the victory that you have given us so freely, so generously, so lovingly. And in these moments where we see the reality of the wrath that we deserve, Jesus, just thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice, God. Thank you that you looked at us and you saw us as worthy of your love, as ones worthy to pursue, worthy to die for. And God, may we live our lives seeing you as worthy to live for. May we lay down our flesh as we look up at our Savior and live out your purposes, God. Jesus, we love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.